2 Kings chapter 4, and if you're there, I want you to stand if you can. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7 of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, now there cried, notice that word cried, uh, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. Now she's crying unto Elisha. She's saying, thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. He's a Christian. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. He said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Lord, I know tonight that I am not worthy. I know, Lord, tonight that I have been made from the dirt of the ground. But, Lord, I'm thankful that you breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. And because of who you are and because of what you have done, we have value. I thank you, Lord, tonight that I'm a part of your family. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, tonight to bless this message. I pray, Holy Ghost, tonight you will convict our hearts. I pray, Holy Ghost, tonight you will enlighten our minds of the Word of God. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to please forgive me and use me as a vessel that we might honor you tonight. And Lord Jesus, whatever's accomplished here tonight in this service, we want you to receive the glory and the praise and the honor for it all. We ask in Jesus' name. And amen, and amen. You may be seated. I heard James Dawson tell the story of a little toddler, a little four-year-old boy named Frankie. I got a little four-year-old grandson named Wyatt, and I know how four-year-olds are. They're pistols. They're a handful. Well, little Frankie was in the living room, and they had a bay window, and little Frankie crawled up in that bay window, and he was watching the cattle out there in the pasture, and he was looking at his dog out there in the yard, and Mama said, Frankie! And he heard mama coming, so he decided, I'm going to hide behind this curtain. That's what little four-year-olds do. And mama come into the living room, and she saw his little feet under that curtain. So she decides, I'm going to sneak up on him. And so she comes around to the edge of that curtain. And about the time she gets to the edge of that curtain, little Frankie said, I got to get out of here. And he takes off. Now, that is a cute little story. But you know what? Little Frankie realized that he was trapped, and mama was just about to get him. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you ever feel trapped? Do you ever feel like that you're at the end of your rope? We were talking tonight, the lady was singing about being overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you something. There are troubles and trials that comes to every Christian. And just because you're a member of Reedsville Free Will Baptist Church, just because you're a Christian does not mean that some bad things are not going to happen to you. I think one of the things the devil has, 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 has messed with our mind, because we're Christians, somehow we got the ideal that we are just going to be scot-free, God's just going to remove all the barriers, and everything's going to go smooth. That ain't the way it works. That ain't the way it works. As a matter of fact, when you're going through your valley, when you're going through your trial, that's when you realize you can't fix your own problem, and that's when you're trusting God more, and that's when your faith is really being tested, but it's also when your faith is growing. So, if you ask the realist, he would say, well, just tie a knot and hang on. 
If you ask a pessimist, he would say, you might as well let go. It's only going to get worse. If you ask the optimist, he would say, well, just tie another knot and keep on climbing. You know what? All of those have merit. But let me ask you a question tonight, church. What do you do when you're facing problems with your kids? Can I tell you something? Just because you're raising your children in the church does not mean they're going to always do what you want them to do. Your kids have a free will. And when you are raising your kids when they're small and at home, you have a lot of control over their free will. But when your kids turn 15 and 16 and they start driving and they're out there with their friends, they're influenced by their friends. And sometimes good kids and sometimes older kids, sometimes adults make bad decisions. I've raised two girls and they're nine years apart. Their personalities are daylight and dark difference. But my girls have not always done what I wanted them to do. What do you do when your marriage is in trouble? Brother Jimmy, we used to take couples, take couples to couples retreats. And I've heard many young couples stand there and say, Oh, he's my best friend. Oh, we're going to be together for the rest of our life. And here we are 20, 30 years later. I'm looking back and they're not even together now. Let me ask you something. They didn't, they didn't think that was ever going to happen to them. But what do you do when you wake up one morning and you realize your marriage is in trouble? What do you do when there's problems at, at work? What do you do when you get laid off and that person next to you, because they were in good with the boss, they got a job and you don't, and you know you've done a better job than they did. If we're not careful, church, we will allow bitterness to get into our heart, and there's nothing worse than a bitter Christian. So let's notice in our passage tonight, the title of this message is, What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? First of all, God knows our problem. Here in this passage of scripture, this woman is in despair. The word cry means to weep uncontrollably, to shriek with grief. This woman comes to the man of God. By the way, that's a good place to start when you got problems. Why is it that church members, and I'm preaching to you now, I'm stepping on toes. Why is it sometimes when we're, at, when we're having serious problems, we don't go to the man of God? Brother Jimmy, he knows the Lord. He knows the Bible. He doesn't know everything. But you know what? He can give you some good, godly counsel from the Word of God. But so many times, we're going to our friends. We're going to our family. We're going to our doctor. We're going to our lawyer. We're going to everybody else to get our, well, to get our counsel. But notice what she did. She's in despair. She goes to the man of God. Now, what, why was she in despair? Well, here's why. She had lost her husband in death. She was married. By the way, she told him, she was married to one of the sons of the prophets. Now, who were they? They were men who were in training under Elisha to be the next prophets and preachers in Israel. Hey, her husband was a preacher, and now he's dead. Her friend, her lover, her provider, her protector is now gone. And, that, and, and that's not the end of the story, Brother Jimmy. Not only is her husband dead, she's got a debt she can't pay. And guess what? Now the creditor is come and going to take our two boys and make them slaves. Now I'm going to tell you something. You can mess with me, but don't mess with my kids or my wife. Amen. Here was this woman. She lost her husband, and they are going to come and take her two boys and make them slaves. And by the way, that was allowed under Jewish law. But I like this, Brother Jimmy. Even though she was in despair, even though death had taken her husband, she had a debt she couldn't pay, she was still devoted to God. And church, tonight, your house might be burned down. Your kids might be sick. 
You might just come out of the funeral home because of a loved one, your husband or your kid. But guess what? You don't have to throw your faith away just because you're in the valley. So number one, God knows our problem. Point number two, God sees our potential. Look at verse, verse two. Elisha said to her, I like it. Now, Brother Jimmy, if I'd have been her pastor, I'm going to come down and talk to Brother Jimmy now. If I would have been her pastor, and she told me, my husband's dead. I can't pay my debt. They're coming to take my boys. Here's what I probably would have said. Honey, I'm so sorry. I, I would have given her a big hug. You know what, honey? God knows all about your problem. Just go home now, relax, and pray. And uh, we'll see what we can do about getting these boys, uh, getting this debt paid. So they won't, you know, that's what I would have done. But what did Elisha do? He done kind of just the opposite. He said, what can I do for you? And what do you have in the house? Now, you know what those two questions were designed for? Those two questions was designed for her to see the big problem she had. She knew she had a big problem. She couldn't pay her debt. Her husband's dead, and they're coming to take her boys. And then he says to her, what do you have in the house? And here's what she said. I don't have anything in the house save a little pot of oil. Now, theologians believe that this little pot refers to a flask of oil that was probably a small amount of anointing oil that was used by the prophets to anoint the man of God. Once you notice what Elisha told her, he said in verse 3, Go borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels, and borrow not a few. What the Lord wanted to do with this woman, he wanted to expand her faith privately, but he also wanted to expand her faith publicly. Can you imagine now, she's got two boys. And I'm going to put names on them because i got brothers. i got a brother named Jim, i got a brother named Sidney. Here's this woman that's got these two boys, and the prophet says, I want you to go and borrow vessels, empty vessels, and don't just borrow a few. So here goes Jim. He's knocking on the door. Hey, Mom, talk to the man of God, Elisha, over there. He said, come and borrow an empty vessel. Well, I'm sure the neighbor wondered, what's that all about? But the neighbor went and found that vessel. I don't know whether it was this big or this big brother. But anyway... These boys are coming home with empty vessels. That's, that's Jim. Here's Sidney over here. He's knocking on the neighbor door. Elisha told mom we needed to bring some empty vessels home. I want you to get the picture now. So they went and borrowed vessels. Now, Brother Jimmy, I don't know whether they borrowed five vessels or ten vessels or 50 vessels or 500. But what Elisha told them was, go borrow vessels from your neighbor and don't just borrow a few. Get as many as you can. Now notice in verse 4, and then he tells her, And when you are come in, shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out. Where's your little anointing oil up here, preacher? Here we go. Woo! So here comes Jimmy, and she's got this little flask of oil, and she starts pouring out of that little flask of oil. Now almost, let's just suppose that his container is about that big, and she feels that that thing just keeps pouring. Fills that container up, sets it aside. Jimmy gives her another one. Fills it up. Jimmy gives her another one. Fills it up. Out that, hey, gives her another one. And then here comes Sidney. Hey, Mom, I got an empty vessel. And fills that one up. Out that little Fills that one up. I want you to get this. The only limit that day was what? Was the amount of empty vessels that were brought in. And many times we as a church limit God. Because we don't have our vessels full of the Holy Ghost. How do you get your vessel full of the Holy Ghost? 
You stay on your knees in prayer. You stay in the Word of God, fasting and prayer and seeking God's will for your church and for you and for your family. And guess what? When you come to church with your vessel full, woo! Got to pour a little bit more in. But notice this now. When the last, when the last vessel was full, let's see what happened now. So she went from him and shut the door upon her, upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, she said to her son, Jimmy, Sydney, bring me another vessel. They said, Mom, we can't. That's all of them. And as soon as she poured in that last vessel, that last empty vessel, the oil stopped. So guess what? God knows our problem. God sees our potential. But here's my third and final point. It's found in verse 7. Then she came back and told the man of God. She came and told the man of God. And he, that's Elisha. He said, go and sell the oil. Not this one now. No, that's a little flask of oil. She gets to take that back to the house. Go and sell. I don't know whether she had 50 vessels there or 100. I hope she had 500. Go sell them now. And you and your kids live on the rest. You know what that tells me? God provides. God provides. I'm going to share this story. I'm going to share this story, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. When Mary and I answered a call to preach, I was 28 years old. I, had, I went to work at a hospital when I was 17, so I was, I, I'd been working at this hospital for 11 years. They had put me through all kinds of training. Uh, I started out in the boiler room burning body parts. That's a good place to start a job. Yes, I burned legs and I burned arms and all kinds of pregnancy stuff I won't talk about. And I worked in boiler. I worked in general maintenance. I worked in electronics. And then I went into heating, ventilating, air conditioning. I took care of about 30-some ice machines. They sent me to Johnson Control School. I was in charge of all the pneumatic control. So I was in, I was in and out of surgery. I was in and out of pathology, x-ray. I was everywhere because I had to regulate the temperature in the hospital. You know how hard that is? You know how hard it is to regulate temperature in a church? In the hospital, you got patience. By the way, patience. You got to be patient to be a patient. And guess what? They're the one that pays the bill. They always told me, satisfy the patient. Then you got doctors. They think they own the whole hospital. And you got to satisfy them. Then you got visitors coming to visit. And some of them are they're, they're freezing to death. Some of them are burning up. Anyway, I had a good job. And my boss called me Blue Eye. He said, Carl, he said, look, we have trained you and you ain't going nowhere. He thought he was going to tell me what to do. Can I tell you something? When you answer to God's call on your life, some of your best friends and sometimes your family will be the very ones who discourage you. I told Mr. Paul Kemper, he's dead and gone. I said, Mr. Paul, I want to thank you for everything you did. He hired me when I was 17. You weren't supposed to hire anybody until the 18. He hired me under the radar. I left home when I was 15. I ain't going to go into all that. But anyway, I had worked there for 11 years. I answered a call to preach, so I left my job. Had good benefits, good, good retirement, good insurance. And Mary and I went down to Nashville, Tennessee to go to Bible college. Now, not every preacher goes to Bible college. But my preacher resigned right after I answered a call to preach. They put me in the pulpit, and I realized I needed some help. And I was trying to study on my own. I thought, I need somebody to help me. And I left my job, and I, and I left my house, and I left my family, and all my friends. Now, Olive Branch, Illinois is only populated 400 people, so I didn't have too many family and friends, but I left all of them. 
In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is I left everybody and everything I know to go off to Bible college to prepare for ministry because I knew that's what God called me to do. So you would think now, if you're doing what God's called you to do, God's just going to let everything go easy and smooth. And, and, you know, we went down there, and in the middle of our first semester, we had to change jobs, and that job provided us a house. And I had to move across Nashville with about 15 teenage boys taking all my furniture and pickup trucks. That was a, that was a sight. But you know what? In my third year of Bible college, we had a daughter born. We'd already had a miscarriage. We'd already had a two-year pregnancy. But we finally got our first child born into the world. I walked out of the delivery room. I was 30 years old. I carried that baby out of there, and I was so proud. I'm a dad now, 30 years old. God bless me. But about five months later, four months later, my child was profusely sick one night. We rushed to, uh, to the babysitter. We took her to the doctor. The doctor sent us to the hospital. You know what she had? She had spinal meningitis, bacterial spinal meningitis, which is, can do brain damage and, and hearing problems. We caught it early. No brain damage, no hearing problem. But there was a little follicle of hair on her back. It was connected to her spinal cord. And they said, this is not normal. So they went in and they cut that out. Well, then we watched it for about a year, year and a half, x-rays and CAT scans and all that. And her little spine was getting worse and worse and worse. And after a while, her spine was over 40% curved. The doctor told us, we're going to have to do surgery. And Carl, you and Mary got to understand something now. When we do this surgery, we're going to put this rod in her back. And she probably for sure won't walk for a year, but she may never walk. We just got to warn you, there's risk. There's always risk in doing surgery. Make a long story short, but my, my mother up in Illinois, Pentecostal woman, Pentecostal church where I was raised, they anointed a handkerchief and mom, mom mailed it to me in the mail. And she said in that letter, Carl, I want you to take this handkerchief and it had a big old oil spot right in the center of it. That anointing oil there. And they had anointed that handkerchief, and she said, I want you to take this handkerchief, I want you to lay it over Bethany's back, and I want you to pray that God will heal her. Now, brother, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and I respect Pentecostal people, but I have known some Pentecostal people that have named it and claimed it. They think they can tell God what to do. If I name it, God's got to do it. I want to tell you, that's a life of the devil. You can name it and claim it all you want to. If it's not God's will, it ain't going to happen. So I just kind of throw the handkerchief over the side, and I said, yeah, you know. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost speaks to us? The Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Carl, why don't you just listen to your mama? Why don't you just listen to your mama? So I go and take the handkerchief, and I walked into her bed in her, in her crib, and I laid it over her back, and here's what I prayed. And I'm serious. I said, Lord, I know that you're God, and I know that you're able to do miracles. I know that you're able to straighten this back up. And Lord, if you want to straighten this back up, I'll tell everybody I know. I promise you, I'll tell everybody. But Lord, here's the rest of my prayer. But Lord, if you choose not to, oh, you get this now, here's where the rubber hits the road. Lord, if you choose not to, I'm going to stay in Bible college. I'm not going back home. And I'm going to go into the ministry just like you called me to do. And I'm going to testify that you are still God. Well, here's how this worked out. I got my daughter checked into the hospital. It took about four hours to get her checked into Vanderbilt Hospital. I'm wore out. They got her in this tent. They got all this stuff hooked up to her. And this little nurse comes around. She said, are you Carl Miller? I said, yeah. My name's right there. <laughs> Is your daughter named Beth? Yeah, right there on the crib. Well, Dr. Green wants to see you on the other side of the hospital, his office, right now. 
So we had to unhook her all that, get all that stuff. Went across the hospital, got over there, and those doctors, there's four or five of them in there, and they're scratching their heads, and they're looking up there on those x-rays. And I'm nosy, and I've got my head stuck in her, and I said, well, come on here. He said, Carl, I said, is that what I think it is? He said, well, he said, I'm, here's what he told me. I'm one, of, I'm one of the top five orthopedic specialists in the nation at Vanderbilt Hospital. And I have worked with pediatric kids for many years. And Carl, I wish I, wish I, I, wish I had it on tape. I still got the x-rays at home. He said, Carl, I've never seen, even with an infant, they're more flexible than us, us old fat adults are. Well, I'm talking about me. He said, I've never seen an infant where their spine went from 40% to now less than five. I said, well, what's this mean? What this means is you can take your daughter home. Yeah. Woo! I went, I went out there and got my 1967 Chevrolet. This is a 1987, brother. That's how, you, that's, that's how you get through Bible college debt free. I'm bragging on the Lord tonight. You know what? I was down there working 48 hours a week, pastoring a little church, going to school, got a sick kid. I, that's what I call some tough times. And you know what? God healed her miraculously. And you know what? I give him praise and glory. And when I graduated from Free Will Baptist Bible College, I had my entire debt paid, not by somebody else, by me and Mary working. And I had $10,000 in my savings account that I'd never had before. You say, well, how'd you do that? Work, 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 and more work. When everybody else was going home at Christmas, you know what I was doing? I was working. I had my nose in the books. Brother, when you're paying for your own way through college, you ain't down there playing. If I'd have went to Bible college when I was 18 years old, I would probably not have done very well. But I graduated with magna cum laude. If you don't know what that is, that's, that's graduated with honors. I had a, like a B to A average in five years. Now, who's, 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 the, who's to get the glory from that? Not me. I'm an old country boy from Pigeon Roots Holler. But I want to tell you something. When you are in despair, when it's death, when it's a debt, whatever your problem is, God knows your problem, and he sees your potential, and he provides. Now, in closing, you remember when Abraham had Isaac, and he was on his way up to Mount Moriah? And Isaac said, hey, Dad, I'm paraphrasing, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Come on, Isaac, God's going to provide that. And you know the story. Isaac was going to put that knife through, his, through the heart of his son. And over there in the bush was a ram, and God provided that ram for that sacrifice. And that word, the word God there means Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. So when you are in your valley, when you are in your battle, when you don't know what to do, the Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And as the old Happy Gibbon song said, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. I got to make it to heaven somehow. Though the devil hits me and he tries to turn me around, He's offered everything that's got a name, all the wealth I want and the worldly fame, but if I could still, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now.